Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today, I'll be reading the first four verses of Genesis chapter 6 from the International Standard Version of the Bible, beginning at verse 1. Now, after the population of human beings had increased throughout the earth, and daughters had been born to them, some divine beings noticed how attractive human women were, so they took wives for themselves from a selection that pleased them. So the Lord said, My spirit won't remain with human beings forever, because they're truly mortal. Their lifespan will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth at that time, and also immediately afterward, when those divine beings were having sexual relations with those human women, who gave birth to children for them. These children became the heroes and legendary figures of ancient times. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. For more than a millennium, biblical scholars have been asking themselves, who were the divine beings and who were their offspring referred to both as the Nephilim and the legendary figures of ancient times? To begin with, the Hebrew word translated divine beings in Genesis 6 verse 2 is Ha-Elohim. This is a plural word in Hebrew that is translated as gods in the following Bible passages. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from the Egyptians' control. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Ha Elohim. And that's Exodus 18, verses 10 to 11. Another Bible verse says, Among the gods, Ba Elohim, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. And that's Psalm 86, verse 8. In some instances, the word Elohim, though plural, is used to describe the singular God of Israel. We find an example of this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and that's Eloheinu, another form of Elohim. The Lord is one. In English terms, this is referred to as the royal we. It is an ancient custom to sometimes refer to a singular person of great importance using the plural. A careful examination of context is needed to correctly interpret Ha Elohim in Genesis 6 2. The mention of the Nephilim in Genesis 6-4 provides some of that context. In addition to being mentioned in Genesis 6-4, the Nephilim are referred to again in Numbers 13-33, which says, We also saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak. Compared to the Nephilim, as we see things, we're like grasshoppers, and that's their opinion of us. In this passage, the children of Israel are planning to enter the land of Canaan. Some are frightened to do so, however, because they see that among the Canaanites there are some of the Nephilim, who were larger and stronger than ordinary men. According to the New World Encyclopedia, as well as Peake's commentary of the Bible, in Aramaic culture, the term Nephilah specifically referred to the constellation of Orion, and thus Nephilim, to Orion's semi-divine descendants, also known as the descendants of Anak. In Hebrew, this means children of the fallen. According to Greek mythology, Orion was stronger, larger, and more potent than ordinary men. 
His father was said to be one of the gods, Poseidon, and his mother, a human woman named Uriel. Such legends or myths in Greek society were often based upon something historical, but then also contained supernatural allegory, often used to communicate a message or a moral. In summary, just as Genesis 6-4 indicates, the Nephilim, like the mythological Orion, were the heroes and legendary figures of ancient times. They were believed to be the offspring of gods and human beings. The Bible mentions the Nephilim again in Joshua 11.21. Here we read that the descendants of Anak were destroyed when Joshua and the Israelites began their conquest of Canaan. And so, based on all of this contextual information, we see that Ha-Elohim in Genesis 6-2 refers to ancient gods, other than the one true God and creator of the earth and humankind. The Nephilim were believed to be the descendants of gods who became intimate with human women. As unusual as this may sound, we find the same account in the following passage of Josephus' Antiquities. For many angels of God accompanied with women, and begat sons that proved unjust, and despisers of all that was good, on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. Josephus was a first century A.D. Jewish historian. According to the English translators of Josephus, as cited in the Tufts University Digital Library, this notion that the fallen angels were, in some sense, the fathers of the old giants was the constant opinion of antiquity. We find similar accounts both in the New Testament books of Second Peter in chapter 4 and Jude. The account in Jude reads as follows. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write to you and urge you to continue your vigorous defense of the faith that was passed down to the saints once for all. For some people have slipped in among you unnoticed. They were written about long ago as being deserving of this condemnation because they are ungodly. They turn the grace of our God into uncontrollable lust and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus the Messiah. Now I want to remind you, even though you are fully aware of these things, that the Lord who once saved his people from the land of Egypt later destroyed those who did not believe. He has also held in eternal chains those angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their assigned place. They are held in deepest darkness for judgment on the great day. And that's in Jude chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. Here Jude compares false teachers who were guilty of sexual sins with the angels who left their assigned place to unite with human women. Later, in verses 14 and 15, Jude quotes directly from an ancient text known as the Book of Enoch. Specifically, he quotes Enoch chapter 1, verse 9, concerning God's final judgment on those who relentlessly practice evil. Copies of the Book of Enoch, dating to the 2nd century BC, 
were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, and three copies were also found in Ethiopia, in the keeping of a Jewish community that had been there for centuries prior to the New Testament period. The Book of Enoch, known today as First Enoch, expands on Jude's comments regarding the angels who did not keep their own position but abandon their assigned place and are held in deepest darkness for judgment. Enoch explains that the Ha Elohim, divine beings in the International Standard Version of the Bible, were angels who rebelled against God and took to themselves female human companions. And it came to pass, when the sons of men had increased, that in those days there were born to them fair and beautiful daughters. And the angels, the sons of heaven, saw them and desired them. And they said to one another, Come, let us choose for ourselves wives from the children of men, and let us beget for ourselves children. And Shemehazah, who was their leader, said to them, I fear that you may not wish this deed to be done, and that I alone will pay for this great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and bind one another with curses, not to alter this path, but to carry out this plan effectively. And that's from First Enoch chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Later in the book of Enoch, we find that as a result of this demonic interference, humankind learned to practice demon worship, violence, murder, war, sexual immorality, and even cannibalism. It is in fact the widespread nature of this evil that leads to the next section of Genesis chapter 6, which tells us the story of Noah and the Great Flood, and we will discuss this further in our next podcast episode. While the notion of fallen angels mating with humans may sound strange, the idea that the gods would engage in sexual relations with human beings was an integral part of the mystery religions found throughout the ancient world. In his book entitled Sacred Sexuality, author George Feuerstein highlights how women would seek intimate union with the god Dionysus through sexual orgies and the use of intoxicants. In his dissertation published by the University of Minnesota, Courtney Jade Friesen highlights similarities between the mystery cult of Dionysus and the ancient religious rituals of the Canaanites. And it was among the Canaanites that the descendants of Anak, otherwise known as the Nephilim of Genesis 6 verse 4, were found. With all of this cultural and linguistic information in mind, what is the message of Genesis 6 verses 1 through 4? As a result of demonic interference with humankind, people began to engage in unspeakable crimes. These actions caused widespread suffering to the human race and grieved the heart of God. Unfortunately, St. Augustine saw this passage in a completely different light. His viewpoint differs from that of Jude, Peter, Josephus, and the account we find in First Enoch. Instead of seeing this passage as a reference to sinful behavior resulting from demonic involvement with human beings, he viewed it through the lenses of his own patriarchal and ascetic philosophy. Augustine did not derive this philosophy from the Bible, 
Rather, he tells us in his confessions that he found it in the books of the Platonists. St. Augustine's Neoplatonism viewed human desire as sin. The body should never be moved by the passions, but should always be under direct control of the mind. He claimed, for instance, that sex in the Garden of Eden before humanity's fall would have been passionless. In his work entitled The City of God, Book 14, Chapter 23, he explained that Adam would have sown his seed in Eve just as a farmer sows seed in a field. When Augustine read Genesis chapter 6, he believed the Ha Elohim were simply human descendants of Seth, Adam and Eve's third son. He believed that the daughters of men were the daughters of Cain. He interpreted the passage to mean that the sons of Seth longed for the beauty of the daughters of Cain, married them, and therefore sinned. This can be found in the City of God, Book 15, Chapters 22 and 23. In Chapter 20 of this book, St. Augustine also claims the eleventh descendant of Adam, through Cain, was a woman, and that both the number eleven and the woman symbolize sin. Here is a quotation in Augustine's own words. The progeny of Adam, then, by Cain the murderer, is completed in the number 11, which symbolizes sin. And this number itself is made up by a woman. As it was by the same sex, that beginning was made of sin, by which we all die. This is an incredibly misogynistic statement. The number 11 to Augustine equals sin, because it is one more than 10. 10 represents the law in his mind, on account of the Ten Commandments. Since the eleventh descendant through Cain was a woman, St. Augustine equated this woman with sin. He also blamed Eve exclusively for the death of all humankind, which is something that the Bible itself never does. Just as the mind must completely dominate the emotions and always exercise conscious control of the body, so Augustine also believed that men must exercise control over women. St. Augustine makes the same error in his commentary work on Genesis chapter 2, when he read that Adam referred to Eve as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, he concluded that women represent the evils of the flesh, which must be controlled by the spirit, which he believed was symbolized by men. And we find that in his Tractate 2, Section 14, on John. To prevent women from possibly evoking feelings in men that Augustine viewed as sinful, he insisted that women conceal their beauty behind a veil. Those comments can be found in St. Augustine's 245th Epistle. It is a tragic reality that these misogynistic ideas of St. Augustine were carried over into the Protestant Reformation and the theological works of John Calvin. Helga and I discussed this in more detail in our Equality Workbook, Freedom in Christ from the Oppression of Patriarchy. Sadly, these writings of John Calvin continue to serve as an interpretive guide to the Bible for many complementarian leaders in the Church today. 
The meaning of Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, has largely been lost as a result of influential theologians reading the Bible through the lenses of patriarchal philosophy, a passage that describes human sin resulting from demonic interference is distorted into a mandate for male authority.